Welcome to Activate Church Podcast and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. So we hope that uh, uh, you are ready for a great day today. We're going to have a fantastic day. We started a series uh, three weeks ago. It's called Together Forever. And as you know, and as I have said, we don't say together forever. We say together forever because it has a question mark on the end. But because we are answering the question, will you really be together forever? And uh, if not, then what are you together for? And how does marriage work? And, uh, and we have learned some interesting things over the past couple of weeks, uh, we have learned that people are getting married less. Yes, shock. Uh, I'm sure all of you are shocked to hear that. And interestingly, people are getting divorced more, married less, divorced more. We learned that our culture has lied to us completely about what marriage is about. And even more than that, we have also learned that we just believe things that are not true. For example, people believe, and in our culture, it would be expressed today that if you get married, you're going to be tied down. You're going to be locked down. You have every chance of being miserable when in fact, it is the opposite. If you look at what studies say, they say that if you're married, statistically, you're more likely to be happy than if you are single, divorced, or cohabitating in a de facto relationship. So actually, our culture has told a lie. Also, they say it's going to cost you a lot of money. Well, the first day does, but then after that, apparently, it gets better because financially speaking, you will be more wealthy at the end of your life if you're married and if, you're, if you stay married. Despite what we might believe about marriage, marriage is about sacrifice and it is about work. Yeah, it's about work. I mean, that makes sense. And as I said last week, if you asked any pro athlete, do they have to work at what they love? They would go ahead and they would say to you, yes, just because you love something doesn't mean that you don't need to work at it. Doesn't mean it always comes naturally. We discovered last week that there is no such thing as the one. Who is the one? I have no idea. You have no idea. Who is the one? Here's the thing. God does not set us up with some kind of divine lottery where our partner, the one that we have, why is it that the one that you find is most often found probably within 10 kilometers of where you live? You know, I mean, is God just blessing us and helping us or is he tricking you? And the reason you haven't found the one and you're still single is because they're in the jungles of Africa. It's not a game. It's not a game. He's not tricking you. He's not setting you up to fail. Guess what? Newsflash, there are 7 billion people on the planet. Probably like at least 4 or 5 million are compatible with you. So, you know, there's no one. There are multiple ones. There are lots of people that you could get together with. And also, really importantly, when you get married, you don't marry someone so that they can fulfill the deepest needs of your soul. You don't marry someone just to meet your needs either. That doesn't make sense. And do you want to know why? Of course you do. So let me tell you. You don't want to get married to somebody who meets all your needs because your needs change. And how foolish would it be to marry somebody who on that present day meets all of your needs when you know that both you and them are going to change in the future anyway. You are seriously trying to balance the future of your entire life on a variable and that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, when people get together and they say their wedding vows, what they are not saying is, sweetheart, I love you today. Because that would seem obvious. I mean, when you go to a wedding, 
I mean, if the two don't love each other and they say, does anybody have a reason why these two should not be lawfully wed together? You should say, yes, they don't love each other. But actually, when we go to a wedding, of course they love each other. That's how we, we know, like they talk about love. We always read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. You know, we, we, we read that stuff out at weddings. So of course they love each other on the day. But here's what they're saying when they make their vows. You're going to change and I'm going to change. And however we change, I vow to stay married to you until death do us part. Your vows are about your commitment in all the future days and not on the present day. You understand? You with me? About three or four people are with me. All right. Sermon will get better, okay? All right. Hey, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. And I pray that, Spirit, would you come speak to us? God, I pray that for married people that you would speak to them and do a great work in our hearts and begin to reveal things to us, perhaps that we've never seen before. And God, if we're in a relationship where we're engaged and we're going to be married, I pray that you help us to understand and unpack marriage. And Father, if we're single, I pray, Lord, that we don't feel like we've got this empty space that can be filled with another person, but in fact, you're the only one that can fill the deepest longings of our soul. So, Father, I pray that wherever we find ourselves today, in whatever situation we find ourselves, I pray, God, that you communicate so well, so clearly to us. We, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me tell you a little story. When I met Sarah... Uh, I decided at some point along the way that we are going to get married. And uh, she kind of knew that this was going to happen. So I had to go ahead and kind of trick her. Uh, lie. So I, I did that. And, and then in the, in the middle of all of this, I had to go. And I wanted to be respectful of her uh, family. So I went to her dad. And I wanted to ask her dad if I had, would have permission to marry Sarah. Now, he's, he's not religious, and, and this is uh, something that's probably being done less and less, but I wanted to be really honoring of her family. So I went and I asked uh, if I could catch up with him. So when I called him on the phone, I said, Norm, because that's his name, I said, Norm. I said, I want to come around and, uh, and, and say hi. He said, well, you might as well wait because Sarah's not here. And I said, I know. <laughs> and that should have been his first clue. And so I turned up and I came and we sat down and he must have been wondering what was going on. And he sat across the table from me. And then I had uh, hidden in my jacket something that I would produce to try to seal the deal. So as we're, we're sitting there, I, I said to him, listen, it's been great to catch up, but I need to ask you a question. You know that I love Sarah uh, very much. And he said, yeah, I, I know that. And I said, and the thing is, I would like to ask for your permission to marry her. And he went to answer me. And before he answered me, I said to him, I said, wait. I said, don't answer me just yet. I said, because I'm prepared to offer you something, a dowry, in exchange for the hand of your daughter. And he said, well, what is it? And I produced from my jacket a bag of snowballs, which if you know what snowballs are, they're marshmallow covered in chocolate with coconut on the out there, very good. And I happened to know that that was his favorite snack. So I said to him, I will offer you this bag of snowballs for the hand of your daughter. And he looked at me 
unflinching, and he said, I accept. And he dragged <laughs> the snowballs in. And I knew we were onto something good. And that is how it happened for me. That's when I knew, I already knew Sarah was gonna say yes, I just had to make sure that Norm was gonna say yes and a bag of snowballs did the trick, you know? And so that's how it happened for me. But you know, uh, I kind of arranged that whole thing myself, but did you know that uh, weddings were often arranged by other people, though arranged for a, a number of different benefits. For example, and this still happens today, People get married for land. They get married to acquire uh, power or prominence. And so the parents would get together and they would say, our children make sense together. Let's go ahead and arrange this marriage. I told everyone last week, I got a daughter now. I'm like, come on, let's keep that going. Like, let's not let that die. Let's, let, let's keep arranging marriages. But I, I don't know, we'll see how that works out. You know, she, apparently she has her own opinion about stuff. I've learned that. She's two. I already know that, you know. But let me tell you something about marriage is that the price of marriage is high. The price of marriage is high. Ephesians 5 says, wives, and if you're not a wife right now, you could be single. It's probably the only other category if you're a lady. Wives, submit to your husbands. So you know that if you're not married, that's something that God's going to ask you to do after you get married. So wives, submit to your husbands. And like I say, that seems like a pretty good deal if you're a man until he says, oh, husbands, wait a minute, you've got to lay your lives down for your wife. And so each person brings their own sacrificial idea to a marriage, and that's how marriage sort of works best. People think that the wedding day is expensive. You should see what happens on day two. You've just entered into an agreement where something really significant happens. You're gonna have to lay your life down and submit and do a whole heap of sacrifice after that. You know, in history, romance wasn't always an option because the weddings were arranged. So romance isn't an option. But today, romance is not only an option, it's, it's basically a prerequisite. But here's what I'd say about romance. Don't fall in love with romance. Wow. Because if you fall in love with romance, guess what? One day you'll be changing a nappy and there's nothing pretty about it. And you'll say, what's happened to this marriage? It's just that it's progressing and it's growing. Don't fall in love with romance because... That is fleeting, but here's what's not. Covenant. <clears throat> Covenant. So I always explain this at weddings, but I think it's a great idea to explain it whenever we talk about marriage because this is part of the most important thing you need to understand about a covenant. In every covenant, there is a superior and an inferior. I shared this at the wedding I did yesterday. There's a superior and an inferior. The superior sets the terms and the conditions of the covenant agreement. The inferior can either agree or disagree, but because they're inferior, they don't get to change it. So kings used to do this. A, one, an inferior king with a smaller kingdom that was afraid for his uh, kingdom, he would go to a superior king and make an alliance. And he would say, the, the superior king would set the terms and the conditions of that covenant. And then they would do something really interesting. <clears throat> They would get some animals 
and they would cut them from head to toe. And then they lay one half of the animal on one side and the other half of the animal they lay on the other. And then they would do this and they create like a, a pathway through the middle. And what would happen is the inferior king would begin to walk through that pathway. And when they come to the end, they make that covenant agreement. Well, when it comes to marriage, it essentially works the same way and they used to do the same thing. And the reason they would do that is because if you broke that covenant agreement, it's not like a promise where you just say, sorry. If you break a covenant agreement, that you're essentially saying, what has happened to these animals, may this happen to me because what I'm entering into right now is serious, it's binding, and it's more than just some promise that I'm going to make. When it comes to marriage, God sets the terms and the conditions. And we can either agree to it or we can disagree. But the one thing that we don't get to do is change it. In other words, I'm saying to you that covenant is serious. So when it comes to marriage, yeah, it's serious. One day Jesus is standing with a group of Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and they're talking about how marriage should work. And they give him this scenario and they say, look, if a, a woman is married to a man and, uh, and he dies and then his brother takes her to be his wife and what if he dies and then the other brother takes her and I'm like, this is outrageous, but let's just suggest that this happens and she keeps marrying the brothers. You'd think that at some point someone would step in and say, you're killing them anyway. Like it makes sense, right? Okay. So anyway, they say, in heaven, whose husband, uh, or, or who, who will be married to her? And Jesus says, this, haven't you guys understood anything? There's, there's no marriage in heaven. You see, you're not married forever. You're only married while you're alive. And the only way out, and this is what Jesus said, the only way out of marriage is death. So if you're sitting next to your spouse right now, just look at them and say, I don't want out just yet because I want to stay alive. That's my only way out. I'm not looking to get out of this thing just yet. But this is, this is the goal, that people would stay together and that they would stay together forever. But come on, let's be real for a minute. People get divorced. Shockingly, in church and out of church to think that the statistics are almost the same. So people get divorced. And when it comes to the issue of divorce, what does the Bible really say about that? The Scripture says in Matthew 19, verse 4 to 9, the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then 
did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? He said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So he kind of gives you this one sort of scenario in which you can get out of marriage is if your partner commits adultery. And he says, the reason that he granted divorce to you anyway was because you had a hard heart. I think it's interesting that the law is summarized to love God and love people. And that's exactly what's required for Moses to give them the certificate of divorce. Hardness of heart towards God, because we don't want to please him anymore by staying true to the covenant we made before him. And then to our own spouses. He says, your hard heart towards your spouse is what meant that Moses would give you a divorce or make it possible. At the time, there were rabbinical schools that were insisting a man can leave his wife if she simply displeased him. I'm like, do you know how many times that would happen in a marriage? I mean, if you're married, okay, think about it. You know, there are plenty of times when your spouse is going to displease you. They're saying, oh, well, if it happens, you can divorce your wife. Jesus says, no, 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 that's not true. The two become one flesh. Once they're joined together, you cannot separate them. And so for a long time, I thought that adultery was the only reason or sexual immorality was the only reason why somebody could get divorced. But then I discovered that there's another. Paul adds one more. In 1 Corinthians, next scripture, 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, it says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister, this is the person that was married to the one that separates, is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So I could get that whole scripture and let me just go ahead and tell you this. I looked it up and I researched it. And what that scripture really means is if someone breaks the covenant this thoroughly that there is no opportunity for reconciliation and they leave you, you know, your partner has separated from you and they've left you and there is no way for you to get that relationship back. Now, here's the, here's the thing that I think is very important. That might be your first option, but it doesn't mean that you should necessarily take it. You see, only God truly knows if you have tried everything you can to salvage that relationship. But Paul says, if somebody separates and there's no chance of reconciliation, then the person who was married should not be enslaved for the rest of their life and stay alone because somebody else has left them. They have thoroughly broken the covenant. The covenant is already broken. So if that's been broken and at a point where it's not salvageable, Paul says in this particular case, willful desertion, if that's what happens to you, then you are within your rights to continue to go on. But Paul says a lot of things. He says, just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's beneficial. Just because you can doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And I think we should keep that in mind because in all honesty, marriage is too easy to quit. It's too easy for people to just try to get out of it and find happiness somewhere else. And if you ask people and you say, what's the reason why your relationship didn't work? Most people are going to turn around and they're going to say, well, 
and each of them will say this on opposing sides. Each one of them will say, it was because of them. Both people will point at the other and say, we had irreconcilable differences. It was because of what they did. Now, let me explain something. Sometimes there are very significant reasons why a couple should not be together. Like, for example, if there was domestic abuse going on, we'd say, hey, come on, this, you, you can't do that. Culturally, they, they would never subscribe to that as well. So there are significant reasons for people to separate. But can I be honest and tell you that a lot of the time, it's not the big things, it's the small foxes. So Solomon says this, he says, it's the small foxes that spoil the vineyard. If you picture a vineyard and you're looking on the top and suddenly the vineyard starts dying, you say, what's responsible for this? It's the small, it's the hidden, it's the unseen. And these things that are small things, eventually, if not dealt with, become the big things. And what was once small is suddenly big and the whole situation starts to get out of control. So I thought, what better way to talk about the small things than to tell you about my mistakes? The small things that I do. You ready? Because these things irritate Sarah like you wouldn't believe. I'm just gonna be transparent. Sometimes I chew gum with my mouth open. Yeah. And you can hear my chewing. And I don't mean to do it, but it happens. When we're at home, when we're out for dinner with people, I will chew with my mouth closed. But at home, I get a little relaxed. And when my kids ask me a question, I answer. And then as I answer, Sarah says, how do you expect the kids to chew with their mouth closed if you won't even set the example. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, okay? Sometimes I do this. It's a small thing, it's not a big thing. I get apples out of the fridge and I go to wash them at the sink, but I need two hands to wash them. And they always come with that little sticker on the apple. So I take the sticker off, but I need my second hand. So I stick it to the kitchen sink. And then I turn on the tap and I wash the apple. And that was like 10 seconds ago. I can't remember that I even did that. So I turn off the tap and I walk away and I eat my apple. I'll come back later. Sarah says, what's with the stickers on the sink? And I know that it's wrong, but I did it anyway. And I'm sorry. When I drive in the car, I kind of click my fingers when I'm driving, but it's probably more of a, I kind of like flick my fingers a little bit like that. She hates it. Can't stand that. I walk into a room and I am looking for something and I turn the light in to look, what I, to look for whatever I had and then I have a thought and it distracts me and I walk out and I leave the light on and I can do this in consecutive rooms <laughs> with no idea that I left a light on. I get distracted mid-sentence sometimes. We will be in a conversation and Sarah will say something that triggers a thought about something else. Now, I know I'm in trouble when the noise stops. 
Because then I go, I think she's waiting for something. And I know I have no idea what she's been talking about. So in that case, let me give you some advice. Don't agree to anything. You have no idea what is being asked of you. I have done this on occasion, and I have said, and this is a true story, one time I remember in particular, I said, sweetheart, I am so sorry that I didn't listen. I, I apologize. So, so far, I'm winning, yeah? Okay, I apologize, right? I said, can you please tell me what you're talking about? So she starts to say the same thing she just said. The same word triggers the same thought. The noise stops. I'm like, I've done this twice in a minute. And I don't know how to get out of it. So I really apologize. And in my mind, I'm saying, she's talking, right? And I'm just going, you pay attention to what she has to say. You listen to, this is very important. It doesn't matter what she asked. It's the point that I'm not listening. Now, these are the things that irritate her. And sometimes we just, you know, these small things become big things. And sometimes we get really dumb about it. Can I tell you how I get dumb about it? Does anybody want to know how I get dumb about it? All right, all right. So this is, this is what I do. I give Sarah secret tests. She doesn't know the rules. I'm, I'm not even really sure what they are either, but, but it'll work like this. When I met Sarah, she had a floor drobe, okay? And she said to me, and she said to me, that when we got married, that everything would change. But what did I tell you in the last couple of weeks? Don't marry someone and expect them to change, all right? So where was that advice when I needed it? So anyway, uh, I will see clothes on the ground and rather, I'm not gonna pick them up. I see them there and I think, all right, let's see how long that can stay there. <laughs> day one, it's not a problem. I'm like, it's day one, she was busy and there was lots of things happening and she was tired and whatever, but that's day one, no problem. Day two, I'm like, gee, that's really interesting. She still left that there. About a week later, I'm getting real mad because I'm like, that's my secret test and she's failing. She doesn't know she's failing. She doesn't even know she's being tested. It's a secret test, right? <laughs> And, and, and I have no idea. And then, and then I say, Sarah, can you come in here? And she's like, what? I'm like, what is with this suck? She's thinking, you are a crazy human being. And I'm like, yeah, but it's been driving me crazy for a week. She's like, well, I didn't even know it was there. I'm like, I know, because you failed the test. <laughs> and you should have known about it, but you didn't know about it, and you failed the test. And Man, I'm telling you, sometimes people just get crazy. This is the kind of stuff that really causes issues in, in, in marriages. And here's the truth. Every time there is an issue, do you know what each one says? It's the other person's fault. They are the one that's failing the test. All right? So let me show you the truth about their fault. All right? I'm going to do that. So I have a little... Uh, is this going to move? Yeah. All right. Here we go. I want to introduce you to a few people this morning. Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Cup. 
you can see them right here. It's, it's actually really easy when I was thinking about this. It was very easy to pick who the uh, lady should be because it, it actually comes with a warning on it. And it says, it says this, project, this, this product contains buttons. I thought, yep. So anyway, <clears throat> that can be the... <laughs> Please come back next week, okay? So, so anyway... I want to introduce you to a, a couple of people. Now, Daylight, and they, they look good. They've been working out. Look at that hourglass. Anyway, so, so this beautiful couple, Mr. and Mrs. Cup, they, they, they meet, and man, they are so in love. Can you guys see over there? Oh, let me move this. I don't want anyone to miss this. This is the most theological thing I've ever done in the history of this church. So, so then they, they meet, and they love each other. And they start dating, and they're like, this is the one. Okay. This is the one for me. And so he's doing his best to impress her. They keep going out on dates, and he keeps paying for her, and everything is going along really, really well. And then something happens. They, they, they get married, and it's, it's so romantic when they got married, and they were so happy together. So anyway, about two weeks later, they suddenly, as they're, having a conversation, they start to bump into each other. And the moment that they do, all of this stuff starts to come out. And so she turns to him and she says to him, I didn't know you had such a temper. And he said, well, I didn't have a temper and then I met you and I, every, time I, every time we seem to, he's going off. <laughs> He's going off. It's like he really got lit up. It's a reference if you understand that. He should get a cup that says you got lit up. Some of you are going to get that. All right. So they start to have this, this argument. So what does she do? She doesn't know how to handle it. So she goes and she talks to her friends. And she says, you know what? I thought that he was the one, and then I discovered that he had all of these problems. And they're our friends, right? So what do they say? You're right. He does have problems. You need to go back and sort that out. You need to talk to him. So she says, all right, she's going to come back. And she says, I've consulted with my friends. <laughs> Meanwhile, this guy, he doesn't know what to do. Because when guys get angry, they, they get totally lost. So they just watch the cricket and cross their arms. <laughs> And they have no idea how to handle it, so they, they plan to give you the silent treatment because that's the best we have. And, then, and so then she comes back to him and, and she says, I consulted with some experts. <clears throat> it's her friends, and they're not experts. And so they say, oh, and they say it's your problem too. They say, whenever I get around you, this stuff comes out of me, right? So the reason that all of this stuff is coming out of me is Mr. Uh, Cup, Mr. Blue Cup. It's your fault that this stuff was coming out. And he says, you know what? I was thinking the same thing. The same reason why all of this stuff keeps coming out of me is because of you. You seem to draw it out of me. Now, if you like to take notes, this is the most theological thing I've ever said in this church. Are you ready? Man, some of you just aren't ready all right. The reason the blue brains come out of him is because that's what's in him. Oh, 
And the reason the pink grains come out of her is because that's what's in her. And when they bump together and have issues, what comes out of them is what's already in them. And most couples say the reason we have problems is because of you. You're the issue. You're the problem when really it's what comes out of us that is actually the problem. You know, when, when God gave Adam Eve first bump in the road, what does He do? He says two things. It was the woman you gave me. Okay? So this is your fault. You should have been smarter. She should have been smarter. It's your fault. You and her. He's blame shifting. He's trying to suggest that actually it's not my fault at all. It was the woman. In their argument, have you ever had an argument and suddenly it's like the last six months of your mistakes are suddenly in a moment reeled off in alphabetical and chronological order with such precision, you're like, where are you? You should work for like the government or something. This is amazing. How did you remember all of my mistakes? It's like, honestly, like, guys, it's like women can just do this stuff, all right? So, so they have this ability to remember all of that. They bring it up. But here is the major issue with always shifting the blame. What happens is, we begin to justify our behavior. When we justify our behavior, we're really talking about what we think we're entitled to. And people begin to say things like, well, she didn't serve my needs and he didn't look after me and I never felt loved by him. So now I'm gonna justify what I'm presently entitled to because of them and not me. And if you find a couple that has this relationship, it has the recipes and the ingredients for an affair because I wasn't satisfied in my relationship. So I'm gonna get what I need somewhere. So, and if you had been satisfying me better, I wouldn't have had an affair. It was actually completely your fault. And I'm entitled to be sexually satisfied. So this is actually your problem, not mine. The reason I started looking at pornography is because I felt so unfulfilled in my relationship. So I started looking elsewhere to get the excitement that I wasn't getting in my relationship. This is not my fault. This is actually your fault because, and this is the premise beneath the surface. I can't completely love someone that doesn't properly love me back. But that's not true. And I'll prove it to you. Who has children? All right. In the first six months when they're born, what do they give you? Correct. <laughs> Dirty nappies. They give you, they cry, they keep you awake. You know, I have three children and each one of them, when they began their life, I don't, I don't know if I've ever loved anything so immediately intensely with that love. And the thing is they can cry and they can keep me up at night and 
I can change all the dirty nappies and all the rest of that stuff. I can do all of that, right? And despite that, I'm still going to continue to love them. You know what's really freaky? It's that some people have a better covenantal relationship with their children than they do with their spouses. How are you going to love? You love your kids unconditionally, but your spouse, they have all the secret tests and all the other stuff that happens. But you know what the gospel is supposed to do? It's when you encounter the gospel which is that Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive you for your sins when you were messed up, when you were completely undesirable. When that happened, He placed unconditional love in you. And so when you hit a bump in your relationship, guess what's supposed to come out of you? Because if the unconditional love is going into you, what's meant to come out of you is the unconditional love that He put there in the first place. And so maybe, just maybe, One of the reasons why there's so many issues is that you don't see yourself the way that Jesus saw you. And maybe you don't really understand what Jesus had to go through to love you and to save you and to set you free. And maybe what you're supposed to do is start to get the gospel more in your life. I wonder what it would do to your relationship. Here is something you need to know today. Satan wants to ruin your relationship. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin your marriage. He takes great delight and joy in it. He wants to destroy marriages because that's the building block of community. And if he can wreck that and ruin that, he doesn't just get two, he gets the children. It begins to affect other people, other relationships, friends and family. He gets so much if he can just destroy this one thing called marriage. And so he's gonna come into your mind. He's gonna say, you deserve to have an affair. You deserve sexual happiness. You deserve this. You deserve that. Go and chase after these things. It's her fault. It's his fault. He doesn't listen. He doesn't care. He doesn't want you anymore. That's why He's not spending that time with you. He's going to fill your head with all the kind of stuff that is not true because marriage is a spiritual battle. My son, Judah, when he first started playing basketball, boy, did he love it, right? But had no idea how to play the game. So what would happen is, is that his team would score two points, right? They get the goal. So what he does at that moment is he turns and he looks at the scoreboard and he's enthralled by it. And he's just looking at the scoreboard and he's looking back at me and he's looking at the scoreboard and he's waiting for the two points to go up, right? Meanwhile, the ball has already been passed in from the other end. There is a game, a whole game going on behind him. And there he is, just looking at the scoreboard with approval from dad and back to the scoreboard. Dad, look, dad, look, the scoreboard. It's about to change, right? There's a whole game going on behind him. If you're looking at the scoreboard of your marriage and looking about how it should change, the thing is, what you for, you're forgetting what marriage is for. And the other thing that you're forgetting while you're wondering who's scoring points for what is that there is a game going on behind you. It's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual game. And the whole thing is designed to distract you. So you spend more time looking at the scoreboard than you do at your spouse and saying, hey, whatever happens here, I'm covenanted to you. I'm going to commit to you. I'm going to love you whether I feel like it or not till death do us part. We gotta be smarter than this, eh? We gotta be wiser than this. So what's the goal of marriage? Well, surprisingly, it's not sex. It's, it's actually not romance. And yet romance and sex should be a part of it. It's not feelings because those will shift and change. And 
it would be a bad idea to place your entire, the rest of your life on something that's gonna shift and change. That doesn't make sense. It's not about personal happiness, even though your marriage should probably contain each one of these things. But Paul tells us in Ephesians 5.25, and this is what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her, that He might, you ready? Sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Do you know what the goal really is here? I mean, your marriage is gonna be filled with all kinds of things, but the goal is to prepare your spouse for eternity. You're meant to get them ready for what comes next. If you understand this, this is gonna change the way that you disagree. And disagreeing is okay, by the way. I mean, imagine that. Imagine if you just had to agree. That's not even an honest relationship, but it's gonna change the way that you look at everything because you're supposed to prepare your spouse for eternity. That was Jesus' commitment to us. That's the gospel message. He cleansed us, He sanctified us so He could present us on the day. And you know what really kind of freaks me out is that one day, if you're married, you will get your chance at this. Listen to me, you will get your chance at this. One day you will stand before Almighty God Him, creator of heaven and earth. All that is life, everything that you know, everything you've ever seen or been exposed to, He made it all. And you will stand before Him, the living God. Does that kind of put the fear of God in you just a little bit? I said, I said a couple weeks ago, I preached a message on the fear of God. I said, the fear of God saves you from making bad decisions in your life. Because one day, you know, you have to give an account for the life that you lived. So when you come before God and you have to start to give an account, what do you think He's gonna call you to? Do you reckon He's gonna bring up your workplace? He's probably gonna bring up how you stewarded your money because He was serious about that. But do you reckon He's gonna bring up your work? No. There are a couple of things in your life, if you're married, that you have covenanted to. And He's gonna bring up your marriage. And when He brings up your marriage and He says, how did everything go? What did you do? How did you treat your spouse? Did you get them ready for eternity? Because there's a life that comes after this one. Did you get them ready for what is about to happen next? If we look at your prayer life, listen in. If, If we look at your prayer life, what's at the top of your prayer list? Are you praying for, I reckon he's gonna say, look, I've got the list right here. And this is interesting. You prayed about money a lot. It seems to me that you were always in need and always in lack. You prayed about a lot of things here. Oh, I see. Number two on your list is that you wanted to get promoted. Yeah, I understand that. You'll notice that I gave that to you as well. But you know, I've noticed here, ranked around eighth or ninth is that you started to pray for your spouse. But this was the only other thing I covenanted with you about is how you would treat them, and how you would lay down your life for them and how you would submit to them. This is the kind of thing that God is gonna ask us about. I read a quote that changed the way I looked at everything. It was by Francis Chan and he says this in a book that he wrote, Marriage in the Light of Eternity. He says, people think I'm going overboard when I talk about all these things and the way that I should do my marriage and relationship, but I disagree. 
I'm just preparing for my first 10 million years in eternity. I thought that put it in context. Eternity is a really long time. And so you are here for a short time and your marriage has a goal and a purpose attached to it. So why would you waste so much time on the small foxes, the silly stuff, getting upset, getting mad, getting angry at each other over stupid things when there is something so much greater that you could be living for? You know, Paul says, fight the good fight. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? Have a great marriage. Have a great life. Enjoy it. Enjoy your spouse. Pray for them. Have all these things. If you need to go get counseling, go get counseling. Do whatever you need to do, but just know that at the end of your life, God's going to stand you up and all of heaven will be arrayed. And He'll say, how did you treat your spouse? And at that moment, whatever you did, it's all going to come to the surface and suddenly all the blame shifting and all that it's their fault and they should have done that and they brought it out in me is going to echo in eternity. It's going to sound small. It's going to sound shallow. And I hope for everyone here that you don't realize at that moment that that was the small foxes because it wrecked what was going to be amazing in your life. You understand what I'm saying? How about we stand together? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.